All right, well, good morning. Um, it's good to connect with you. I'm Bland, I'm the lead pastor here. If you just happen to be tuning in and have not uh, you know, watched before, um, thanks for uh, connecting with us today. It's, um, it's good to, to be able to do this. Um, I will say, you know, related to our Easter gathering, uh, I'm excited about that. Um, I believe God's got a, a plan for us to be able to gather that day. We're still <laughs> figuring out what God's plan is, but um, we, we believe he has a plan. And, and I would say in, in, in relation to that as well, um, you know, just just persevere, just hang on right now. There's um, there's hope, right? I mean, in terms of, of regular gatherings, uh, they may be limited for a while, but um, we are we are shooting to be able to to reestablish the weekly gathering of the church. Um, we'll continue this online for as long as we feel like it's um, it's helpful for our members, helpful for our visitors, helpful for uh, people who are checking out the church. So don't feel don't don't worry um, that once we're in person that you know you might feel like well I, I I'm not ready or I'm not able. Um, and just even in relation to that, I would say as the as the vaccines are being rolled out, um, we're going to be in a weird. situation situation for a while where where there's going to be people that are vaccinated and other people that aren't. And um, and then some people who just are not comfortable or who have underlying health conditions who are very concerned about taking the vaccine, getting the vaccine. So um, I, I think this is a time for us as a church to just really love each other well, to care for each other well, uh, and continue to just persevere in this, uh, whether you're on the Zoom call or whether you're on Facebook right now watching us, um, just encourage you to to hang in there um, and keep at that. Also, uh, immediately after the worship ga- uh, worship time today, um, I'm inviting everyone who's part of the Bible reading plan for this year. Uh, there's over 100 people that have signed up for that. I sent an email out the other day, but just wanted to remind you, if you're part of that, that we're going to be uh, uh, connecting immediately following the worship time today. Uh, there'll be a you know three minute break or whatever, but then we'll uh, we'll we'll meet up um, and just have a little time of encouragement and check in. And I, I know some of you might be thinking. Oh yeah, Bible reading project. I signed up for that. Uh, I did that for about two weeks and stopped. Um, this is a great time to to jump back in. Doesn't matter how far behind you are. Doesn't matter how far ahead you are. Um, this is really about just us connecting and allowing uh, us to uh, a chance to encourage each other in this in this journey. Um, so uh, please hang on and be a part of that. We are in Second uh, Samuel chapter six today. So go ahead and grab your your Bible. Uh, Again, always encourage you, especially while you're at home, get off your couch, go grab your physical Bible, um, put it in front of you. There is an act of looking at God's word that we are formed by. And um, I just want to encourage you to to open your Bible, be familiar with it, um, and and have it open to 2 Samuel 6. You know, this week was uh, a bit surreal for me um, and, and actually my family as uh, we we reflected back on, on this week um, 14 years ago. As a matter of fact, yesterday, 14 years ago, uh, Teresa and I landed in Boston for the first time to visit the city together uh, to, to begin to pray and test a call to see if God was calling us here. So that was 2007 uh, and we landed and what was crazy was the weather was just like Thursday. So, you know, almost 70, beautiful. It was a cruel trick. Uh, if you know that you, you know my story at all with that, it was two days later that a winter nor'easter blew in and we were not equipped for that. Um, but it was beautiful. And I just remember stepping outside on Thursday and thinking, man, this was just like, you know, 2007. And the other memory from this week that's really stuck in my heart is that uh, one year ago this week was our last gathering at Coolidge Corner School. 
So it's been one year, and I just remember that day so well. I have images in my mind. I don't know if anybody else remembers that day, um, but it, it stuck, stuck out for several reasons, not just because as, as we got past it, we began to realize, oh, that, that was our last gathering for a while. Um, but we also had these crazy technical issues. The elevator froze. It was like the worst logistics day for us, I think, in Coolidge Corner School, maybe. Uh, the elevator froze. We couldn't get access to our storage unit, had all of our, you know, our heavy equipment and stuff, and so we got by with like, you know, just kind of jerry-rigging some stuff and using, um, you know, the, a projector that sort of shot on the wall and half on a screen and was oversized and the words were weird and all of that. But I just remember how the Lord gave a lot of grace that day. I don't know if you remember it, if you were there, but Lord gave a lot of grace uh, as we worshiped uh, together. And, you know, as I thought about, you know, those two events, the 2007 this week and then, you know, 2020 this week, uh, both of those ideas call us around worship. Um, you know, back in 07, when, when Teresa and I came to Boston and we began to tour the area and look, you know, there were, there were only a handful of, 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 of faithful gospel-believing churches are around the area here. And um, while there were, you know, faithful churches, and there are some older churches that are still faithful, we're not knocking all of them, but for the first time in my life in America, I saw not just one, but multiple, multiple church buildings that had been, that the churches had died, they sold their building off, and they had been turned into condos or some other type of facility. And I thought, oh my gosh, like that's in America? That's in the US? Not just like, you know, it happens in every city in one, one church building or two. But, you know, I, I went around and very quickly counted half a dozen just without in, being intentional. Um, and so I began to see, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a need here. There was a need in Boston for the worship of Jesus. There was a need in Boston for church that, that worshiped Christ, held up Christ, and that Christ's name would be made known uh, in this city. Uh, and the research showed that it was only around maybe 5 or 6% of, of people in greater Boston attend a gospel-believing church. So, you know, there, there was a lot of, of, of um, weight on us thinking about what worship could look like, what it would look like to have a worshiping church here. And then, of course, a year ago, as I think about that day and I think about that um, gathering, I, I actually have a picture uh, on my phone, not from that day, but from March 1st. I was just in the back and I just held up my phone and took a picture. And so I look back at that picture a lot thinking about um, the, 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 the people of God and looking at the, the diversity and people from all over the world and, and you know, just, and, and it doesn't make it easy or perfect. It's certainly not, but, but lifting up the name of Jesus together. Um, and I realized just how much uh, I miss us gathering, um, which, which means every time we're able to do it right now, it's even sweeter. And so today we're going to be talking about worship and we're looking at worship from the life of King David. King David was a great worshiper, like the stories in scripture. And then in the book of Psalms, he wrote nearly half of the book of Psalms talking about worship, giving, giving handles for worship for the people of God. And, and the beauty is that it's not just this idea of worship on, you know, in the gathering of with God's people, uh, you know, the, the idea that that's where worship happens. It is this idea of worship that happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether, whether he was out under the stars looking up and, and, and considering all the stars and how does God even think of me? Um, you know, or whether he was in battle or whether he was hiding from Saul or whether he's fallen in sin or whether he's uh, actually um, just leading God's people day to day. The Psalms are rich with a man who understood that worship is not about being in a gathering. Yes, it's not less than being in the gathering and the gathering is very important. 
uh, as we all know, uh, hopefully by now. Um, but it's more than that. And so today we're looking at a story from Second uh, Samuel chapter six, um, and we're gonna understand what it means to worship God and worship him rightly, worship him in light of the gospel. So I encourage you to open your Bible, follow along. I'm gonna, what I'm gonna do is sort of read parts of the scripture and then we'll get into uh, unpacking three truths for worship for us uh, to see today. So uh, the fir- we're gonna just look at the first four verses here. You can follow along. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with the people who were with him from Baali Judah to bring up from from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab were driving the new cart with the ark of God and Ahio went before the ark. Now, what is the ark? If you're new, um, you may have only the frame of reference. If you, you don't have a church background, you might be like, ark, ark. Is this like the Ark of the Covenant? Isn't this like Indiana Jones and the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark? Is that it? That, that, that idea? And it's like, does it have something to do with Nazis? And uh, no, it has nothing to do with Nazis. Um, the Ark of the Covenant was um, a box as God's people were led out of Egypt and he established the tabernacle as a place of worship to be in the camp of the people of God, this t- special tent where God would meet his people and connect with his people and dwell among his people. This this Ark of the Covenant was a wooden box that was overlaid in gold exterior and ex- interior. Um, and it was beautiful and ornate on the top were these two angels, these two cherubim that faced each other. Um, and then just below that, where, where the um, at the top of, the, the ark uh, and um, the, the angels meet was a place called the mercy seat. The mercy seat was where um, sacrifices were made, uh, where, where, where blood was sprinkled for the forgiveness and the atonement of the people of God. What was inside of the ark was manna from the wilderness when they wandered, where God provided uh, daily manna, food for them. It also had a copy of the 10 commandments, uh, stone commandments that God had given his people. So the, the, the manna uh, pointed to God's provision, the, the um, 10 commandments pointed to God's law. And then the last thing in there was also was Aaron's staff. So Moses' brother who had led them out of Egypt, Moses, the leader, Aaron was the priest and Aaron's staff was in there and it had uh, budded actually and, and borne uh, fruit. And that was a symbol of God's power for his people, to be uh, bless his people. And so the, the ark was a, 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 an important thing. Um, and David, what he was trying to do here was bring it back from this guy Abinadab's house. But the question is, how did it get there? How, why was it over there? Um, and it was because a generation earlier, um, the, the ark was, was seen not as this um, thing to be revered and respected by the people of God, but like as a magic talisman, like a, like a rabbit's foot or a, a four-leaf clover. And so they said, hey, you know, let's, we're going to go into battle against the Philistines. Let's grab the ark. We'll go in there and fight them. We'll get it done, right? Uh, and they went in and they treated the ark flippantly uh, and, and ir- irreverently. And, and God allowed them to be defeated. And the ark was taken by the Philistines. Um, and the Philistines thought, hey, we, we've got this. Look at this fancy ark. We beat the, the Israelites. We're going to take that fancy ark and we're going to put it in the temple to our God, Dagon. And, you know, as crazy as God began to pour out curses on the people of God, uh, 
uh, people, the Philistine people. And what happened in, in the temple was every time they, the, the people would leave the temple of Dagon, uh, they would come back and the ten, and the, you know at first the statue had fallen over and was was face down in front of the Ark of God. Uh, and then they came back later and they said, well, Dagon must have fallen over. So they set Dagon back up and you know next night they came over, Dagon had fallen over and he had no hands. You know, his hands were gone. Uh, and, this, and it kept happening. And basically this picture was, was God at night was going, mm, no, I, I, don't, I don't sit before Dagon. Dagon kneels before me. I am God. Um, and then the people themselves were plagued with these boils on their skins and tumors. And, and uh, the Philistines began to realize this was not a great idea. This ark thing is, is, is not ours. And clearly the God of this ark, it, it does not, uh, does not um, like us having it. So we need to send that back. So they said, we're going to send it back. We're going to put it on an ark, uh, on a cart, and we're going to um, put some gold gifts, some parting gifts for the Israelites to say, hey, no harm, no foul. We love you guys. Uh, hope this gold kind of, you know, smooth things over with your God so he stops killing us. Um, and so they sent this ark and, it, and this ox, you know, pulling the ark just wandered into the land of Israel. And when it got there, um, you know, some of the people said, oh, sweet, it's the ark of God. And they went over and they popped the top off to see what was in it and make sure, you know, their stuff was still there. Um, and when they did, God killed 70 people. 70 people because they looked in the ark of God, right? You know, you're just thinking like, hey, my, uh, I let my neighbors borrow this, this nice uh, trunk, had some important things to me, uh, and now I'll get it back. I'm gonna pop the top and make sure stuff's in there, right? But God said, no, like 70 people died because of that. It freaked everyone out. They were like, okay, we're not touching this thing. So the clearest, the nearest guy that would say like, hey, I'll take care of it, I'll keep it on it was Abinadab. And so they took it to Abinadab's house and he had it in his house for 20 years, David becomes king. David says, you know what? The ark of God should be in the city of God. The ark of God should be among the people of God um, and not out in this uh, guy, Abinadab's house. As good as he is, it's not where the ark goes. And so he got the... Uh, people together, um, and he uh, went out to get the ark, right? And and with Abinadab and his sons, and they were offering these, um, you know, sacrifices, or they were um, celebrating as they came. But look at verse eight, we'll pick up there. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, which is one of the sons of Abinadab, uh, had put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Now, uh, David's feelings on this were uh, were legitimate, right? Like, you know, we, we would go, yeah, I'd be mad too. Here we are trying to do a good thing, right? And and us is trying to do a good thing. It seems reasonable, it seems fair. But but then God struck him dead. So, so David was angry at God. And I, I love that the Bible is real about this kind of stuff, you know? I, it's one of the things that makes the Bible ring true to me is that, that there are real emotions here. It doesn't say, and David reverenced the Lord. Lord for it. No, he got angry, just like you and I would if we saw this happen. Because Uzzah wasn't doing, trying to do something evil, was he? He was trying to keep the ark from tumbling over on the floor, on the ground, right? Um, picking up verse 9. Let's keep going. Uh, and David was afraid of the Lord that day. 
And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can it come to Jerusalem with me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. All right, uh, now let's unpack quickly three truths from uh, this passage on, on worship, on what, what worship really is and rightly worshiping God. And the first truth here is that there's a glory and a problem to worship. There's a glory and a problem to worship, to worshiping God in particular. Uh, we see this in the Ark of, the, of God, the Ark of the Covenant, right? Um, David rightly wanted to get the Ark of, of the Covenant, the symbol of the covenant with God's people, the, 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 the Ark symbolizing God's presence among his people. And he wanted to bring that back into Jerusalem so that the people of God would be able to worship rightly there, right? That, that was, it was a good thing. He wanted, he wanted the Ark, wanted the symbol where it belonged with God's people. Um, and that was a right thing, God's presence with us. We wanna worship rightly with the Ark in the right place. But there was also a problem with this. While God's presence was glorious and, and the ark was amazing as, as a symbol of God's presence among them, God is also dangerous. God is dangerous. He's not safe. As C.S. Lewis says in um, you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, speaking of Aslan, is he, is he safe? No, he's not safe. He's a lion, right? He's a lion. He's good, but he is not safe. And many Philistines and many Israelites had died at the hands of God over this ark. Just take Uzzah, right? I already said it. he's doing God a favor. God's ark was falling off this, this cart and was gonna dump all the contents on the floor. Top was gonna fall off, all of that on the ground. And, and Uzzah reaches up to go, hey, like, let's, let's that not happen, right? So he puts his hand up and God strikes him dead. Now, I don't know about you. I, I remember reading this and, re, re, you know, first, first time or maybe not first time, but, but certainly or the first time it occurred to me, I was like, my gosh, it's really, that, that punishment does not fit the crime, does it? I mean, what, what's the crime here? What's the, what's the foul? Call the foul um, uh, that, that happened. And the problem is that we're not reading, we're reading this story as a microcosm and we're not looking at it in the context of scripture because here's the thing. When you look at this story and what happened with Uzzah in the context of all of scripture, the punishment does fit the crime. Now, why? A couple of points. First, God had already established with his people in, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, in Exodus and Deuteronomy, how the ark was to be carried how the ark was to be moved from one location to another. And it was, it was not to be put on a cart. It was to be taken on poles. So each side of the ark had ringlets on it that were made for poles to go through it. And then who was to move it? The Levites, priests uh, of the Levitical priesthood were to pick up the ark, carry it on their shoulders, not on a cart. Um, and God had said this. Instead, they chose to move it just like the pagan Philistines did. Right? Did you, did you catch that in reading it? it? It had come in, the Philistines put it on a cart and sent it back to Israel. And now David and, the, and Abinadab and his sons, they put it on a cart to take it back into Jerusalem instead of doing it the way God had told them to do it already. You see, it does matter how we worship God. I've heard so many people over the years, it really doesn't matter how we worship God. We all worship God in our own ways. We all come to God in our own ways. We all relate to God in our own ways. No, no. 
God cares. This text tells us God cares when he has spoken already about how we're to worship him. We don't get to substitute what we think or what our good intentions are with what God has said. God has said, this is how you should worship me. This is how you should handle the ark. It does matter. The second reason here, the bigger issue with Uzzah was not just that, that, that they were rolling it on a cart, but that Uzzah himself um, didn't understand his own sinfulness. You see, he saw the, the ark shaking and he, he thought, I'm going to reach out my hand and stop the, the, the ark from falling off so that it doesn't get on the ground and doesn't get dirty by the ground. But he forgot that his hands were dirty. He was sinful in God's eyes. He was not a righteous man, just like none of us is righteous. We don't get to touch God. And the ark, while it was not God, it was the symbol God had said of my presence with my people. And it was to be treated as holy. Indeed, it was actually supposed to be in the holy of holies in the tabernacle. The one place no one goes except the high priest one time a year to go in there to offer sacrifices. And Uzzah just reaches out his hand thinking that the ground would pollute it. But in fact, his hand was gonna pollute it. The reason we do not understand God's judgment rightly is because we do not see his perfect holiness. We do not see him as above us. We see him uh, as we see him through our own lens. He's like, he's like a really great guy, right? Like we think of him as a really great guy, you know, like think of the most, uh, the person you revere the most in this world, right? And, you know, they're, they're, you know, you're, uh, you're helping them move their stuff and, uh, and it's in the back of a pickup truck and, you know, one of the tubs that's got their stuff and it starts to fall over. What do you do? You reach up and you tuck, you know, tuck that tub back on the pickup truck, Right. Yeah, that's what you do with friends. That's what you do with people that are just like you. But you don't do that to God. We don't get to touch God. We don't get to touch God's stuff. His things he has said are absolutely holy. You see, our sinfulness and God's holiness are mutually exclusive. They cannot exist in the same space at the same time. It's like this problem with worship here and the glory of worship is like the sun, right? Hopefully you got outside on Thursday. Uh, I got outside, I sat outside with my laptop till the sun had gone down and I got cold because um, it was so beautiful uh, to, to feel the sun's warmth. And, and we, we enjoy the sun, we love the sun. But so the sun has this glory, right? This value, this, it has a significance in our life, in our world. It keeps things in balance, right? Uh, and all of this. But the sun is also incredibly dangerous. It does not matter how much you love the sun. If you could get a spaceship and, and you're like, you know what? I love the sun so much. I'm gonna get a spaceship. I'm gonna fly to the surface of the sun and I'm just gonna swim on the surface of the sun. It doesn't matter how much you want to do that. You don't get to touch it. You'll discover the closer you get to the sun, the less you have the ability to exist there. This is the holiness of God. We do not have the ability to coexist in the same space as sinful people because we are the antithesis of God's holiness. And, and when those two meet, God's holiness always wins. Because his glory is greater than us. We are, we are derived. We are contingent creatures. Every atom in our body, every element in the universe is contingent on God. 
God is completely holy and perfect. So we have this problem of worship, but we also see in the text the gospel of God's grace for worshipers. There's the gospel of God's grace here. You're like, where, really, where? Um, well, we're getting to it. Look at verse 12. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So it's interesting, Obed-Edom was a Gittite. He was not even, uh, he was not even uh, family-wise part of the people of God, but he had been believed to be grafted in. He was a converted Jew. Uh, he had converted from being a Gittite, a pagan, to being uh, part of the people of God. And I think, you know, to do that, you don't just get to sign, a name, sign your name on a paper. You have to understand and know the, the scriptures, the, the law, all of that, you to come into the Jewish faith, you have to like reach a threshold, a test. Um, and so no doubt he had read the law about the ark. And so I suspect that, that Obed-Edom kept it reverently in a room in his home and he didn't go in there. Like, he's like, it's in here. We're going to keep the door shut. We're going we're gonna, to uh, protect this place. This is the symbol of God's presence. This isn't going to be a coffee table. This isn't going to go in the corner with a lamp under it or on top of it. This is, I, I suspect he taught, he treated it with holiness. So God blessed him, right? He blessed him. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Verse 13. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six stepped, Steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, David offered sacrifices. This is the difference. So they were worshiping before, right? They were worshiping, they had it on a cart and they were worshiping, they were praising God, but it was not right worship because these were sinful people and they were not even obeying God's word in how to handle the ark. But now David, uh, actually the, the parallel text in, in, in uh, First Chronicles tells us that David went and got the Levites and he said, we need some poles and we need some strong guys. So he got the poles and he got the Levites and they put it on their shoulders and they carried it and they took six steps and then David offered a sacrifice. And the focus here would have been the mercy seat on the top of the ark, right? This place where God has said, I will meet you and provide mercy through your sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. And what God was doing through this sacrificial system that had been pictured already in the Old Testament was not God saying, you know, the blood of a, an animal really does pay the price for your sins. It's saying there needs to be death to atone for sin. And one day through, through these offerings and your faith that I'm a forgiving God, that I will give you mercy, one day I will send a final sacrifice and he will pay the price for all of your sin. And so they, as they did this, this was right worship in God's eyes. These sacrifices um, were pleasing to God. They, they were no longer uh, marked by fear uh, of, of their sin, of, of being judged by God because they were worshiping God rightly through the forgiveness of their sins. You see, we will either approach God like Uzzah, the way we want to, we'll handle the things of God however we want to, we'll worship in our own way and we will be judged for it. Or we will come like David and these, the other leaders here who offered sacrifices, who said, Lord, uh, we need forgiveness. We need cleansing. We need atonement. And God has provided that through Jesus for us today. That is where the gospel comes in this text, that their sacrifices actually that they made here were actually pointing ultimately to Jesus. Now, do you see how this shapes worship? 
Do you see why this would shape worship? You see, do you see why we take time in each gathering to confess our sins? Each of our gatherings, because there's a rhythm to that, to to reminding ourselves, we don't get to just come before God the way we want to, however we want to, with with dirty hands. He who gets to ascend to the hill of the Lord, he who has clean, clean hands and a pure heart, we come before God and we confess our sin as a reminder that we get to come through Jesus. You see, the gospel is not just front and center in our messages, but in the entire service, entire time of our gathering and should be in all of our worship, all of our personal worship, because it is both the means, it's how we get to worship. The sacrifice of Christ allows us into the presence of a holy God. We get to go visit the sun, right? We get to go visit the sun and not be incinerated by it. We get to see God, know God, experience God's presence in us through the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. So it's the means, Jesus in the gospel are the means, but it's also the motive. So Jesus makes a way, but then why do we praise God? We praise God because he didn't incinerate us for our sin. He's made a way. We didn't make a way, God made a way. And so when we get to come into God's presence, what is our, the motive for our worship? God, you're, it's all on you. This is all you. you. You invited us in to know you, to worship you, to joyful experience your presence for eternity through your son, Jesus. Is there any wonder when we look at the book of Revelation that Jesus is front and center in worship for the eternity? Because it's, the gospel is both the means and the motive for our worship. Finally here, let's see the great joy of gospel worship. The great joy of gospel worship. Verses 14 and 15. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. So David got it. He got it. He got how to worship God. He, he, he approached the ark reverently. He approached it as, as one who is not worthy to touch the ark and, and offered sacrifices. So now, now the people of God were actually worshiping and God, and this is what God's message was in this, the, the implied message by going with them, by allowing them to carry it, by, that, by going with them. I'm with you. That's God. God's saying, I'm with you. You are worshiping rightly. You see me for who I am. You see your sin for what it is. And you understand that I have accepted your offering and I am forgiving you. I am giving you grace and mercy. You gotta know that as these Levites, knowing how many people had died carrying the ark, right? Uh, moving the ark and all of that. These Levites were like, okay, we're, we're, we're gonna obey this scripture. We're gonna pick this ark up. But it's an act of faith, right? It was an act of faith in God saying, we don't, we're not worthy to pick it up. We actually deserve to die like those other guys, but we're gonna pick it up believing that God has forgiven our sins and we're gonna carry it. So, so you know those first six steps and then it was, let's celebrate. Let's have sacrifices. Let's honor God in this moment. And then David moves into the city, worshiping God, right? With all of his might. 
It's believed that Psalm 24 was written for this passage, that, that Psalm 24 was written for this story. And we've already read it a little bit, but you can imagine the scene. It's believed that there would have been David, um, would have been kind of the, the worship leader on the ground with the ark and the Levites. And there would have been crowds and up on the, 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 the walls of the city would have been uh, a choir. And, and David would have, uh, the, the crowd would have said, lift up your, your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And then he would say, who is this king of glory? And the crowd would shout, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, what, that the king of glory may come in. And David would say, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, who is the king. He is the king of glory. And then David was so into this moment, so full of God's, the joy of the worship of God and seeing God rightly revered and knowing his grace and his mercy towards his people, he strips down, he says, I'm not king. I'm not king right now, I'm just a worshiper. He strips off his robes and everything. He's down to a linen ephod, he looked, uh, which, which priests wore. And he, he basically was saying, I'm just one of the fellows worshiping Jesus today. I'm not king, he's king, right? And he was... And how was, he, how was he dancing? Can you imagine? Can you see the scene? You know, do, you, do you think he was kind of just walking in, kind of doing this thing? You know, just real chill, reverently reflecting on the depths of God's love and the goodness and mercy of God and the arcs coming into the city and lift up, O gates, lift up, you ancient doors. No, I think he was losing his mind. <laughs> I think he was so in this moment with the Lord, worshiping with his entire body. And here's a lesson for us. When we are actually really worshiping the Lord, there is a glorious self-forgetfulness and a freedom and an abandon to God. That's not just about our thoughts for God. It's not just about our emotions for God. It is a full physical thing. And I realize we don't all move the same way. I can't stand still during music. I'm kind of doing this the whole time, right? If you ever watch me on Sundays, I can't help that. Um, that's just in me. And not everybody's that way. But if you can stand there, like, and you basically look like you're hearing a state of the union from the president of the United States through an entire worship gathering when Jesus has saved you and God has poured his mercy out on you and you've been invited into the glorious joy of gospel worship of the king of the universe. I'm just kind of going, is, are you there? Are, are you actually really there? And I realize sometimes the worst thing that happens, and this happens to me, I know it happens to anybody who, who likes to be expressive. It's sort of like, oh, okay. Uh, oh, I don't want to do too much. If I do too much, I'm like, you know, what are they going to think about that? Does anybody think David was worried about their dan his dancing? He's like, well, I hope I'm keeping my, my uh, you know, beat and rhythm right, you know. No, <laughs> he wasn't worried at all. He was full on for God. In fact, he gets into the city and while he's marching in, his wife, Michael, who's the daughter of Saul, King Saul, who's now dead, looks down at David and says, um, uh, and thinks, look at this idiot, look at this fool. And she lets him have it when he gets in the room. She's like, ah, ah, you know, you should look, you made yourself really undignified today. And listen to what he says, verse 21 and 22. And it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as a prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord and I will make myself yet more contemptible than this. And I will be abased in your eyes. This is the glory of gospel worship. 
full body, mind, soul, spirit for God. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, you just do, if, if you're dan- you, you feel like dancing, you know, you don't have to dance up front on a Sunday between the band and the, and the crowd. You know, Lord can see you over on the side, can see you in the back, you know, and it's fine. So, you know, you, there are things we can do that are that in a way that allow us to worship freely, but also try not to be a distraction for anyone who, who's not in the same place. But this is the worship Jesus is talking about in John 4, 23. But the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Did you know God is seeking worshipers like this? He is seeking gospel-centered worshipers. Worshipers who see their sin and see the glory of God's grace and forgiveness to them through Jesus. And they step into that space wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord. So how's your worship? Are you worshiping the Lord as a person right now? Not just when we connect on Sundays during this time or when we're gathering on Sundays. Do you worship the Lord? Is worship part of your life? Is it who you are? Because the, tr- the truth is we are actually worshipers. That's, that's our identity. We have an identity as the worshipers of God all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even in our sleep. We are worshipers of God. So how's your worship? Let me offer a few suggestions and I'll pray. One, Connect on Sunday. Keep connecting on Sunday. I know, I know this is terrible mean, a terrible means of, of worship, right? It's, it, it's terrible. It's, it's nowhere near the same. I, we, the worship service we had yesterday uh, at Ruggles, um, there were about 50 people there, was the closest thing to actually um, really being close to Koa worship that I felt in a year. Right? I mean, we, we were there you know, somewhat before 60, 70% at times, but yesterday at, at Ruggles felt like uh, an actual Koa worship gathering. There was a joy, there was a depth, there was an energy, there was an excitement about Jesus and what he was doing. The, but the, and so I, I understand we missed that, but don't miss this because the only thing worse than not worshiping on, on Zoom or Facebook with us on Sundays is not worshiping at all. We need this time, even this, this method, this means. Secondly, prepare your heart for worship on Sunday, right? I know, you're like, really? Prepare? I don't even go anywhere. I'm in my pajamas, sitting at home. And listen, I've, I've only had a few Sundays that I've been off like at home on a Sunday morning and like tuning in. And I know the feeling, grab a chill morning, relaxing, grabbing a cup of coffee, heading into the living room, gonna turn on worship so I can watch. And I realize, oh my gosh, do you know what that makes me? That makes me a consumer of worship, not a worshiper. I fear this means this on, on the computer, on the TV, whatever way you watch, we, it makes us consumers rather than participants. Listen, God sees your worship in your living room where you are right now. He sees you and you can worship him and there are no limits to your worship except what you put on them right now. So prepare your heart, pray. Take five minutes before the live feed starts and pray. We need it. Thirdly, don't neglect personal worship. Maybe this may be, I'm not overstating this. Personal worship may be the most important 
Uh, it may be the most uh, more important in your life right now than any other moment of your life. Where you have been robbed of corporate gatherings because of COVID, your personal worship and drawing near the Lord may be the most important thing, you, uh, may be more important than any other time in your life. So I would challenge you, take time to worship. For me, um, man, there have been days, I've shared this some, but like the truth is I've had some really low points in the last year really discouraged, really down, really like almost hopeless. Like what's gonna happen? Is there any hope? Uh, and, and feeling powerless, right? And, and so, you know, there've been points and, but the, the difference this year and this year has been better. 2021 has been better in ways. And it's not just because there's vaccines coming and all that, but, but I have felt the Lord draw me into worship. There's been times in the middle of the day that I'm just kind of struggling. And God said, you need me. You need to come to me. You need to take 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes, put your earphones in, crank some worship music, grab your heart by the collar and say, God is God, not your circumstances. God is God, not your feelings. And Lord has done that. And, and it's, it doesn't mean everything's not hard. There's still hard, very difficult moments. But I can t- say this with absolute conviction. It has helped me tremendously to have personal worship. And the final thing I wanna challenge you to do is fight to see all of your life as worship. Really, really all of your life, how you spend your money, how you're working, how you're relating to your spouse or friends or coworkers or neighbors, all of that is worship. When you're out for a walk, when you're laying down to bed at night, when you're taking a shower in the morning, whatever that, those are moments of worship. And you can glorify God in those moments. Turn your thoughts towards God and be grateful to him. Now, as we close, I realize that many of you uh, have struggled just like me. And, and it, feels, it, it feels like there's, there's no hope, but, but I wanna encourage you today, right now, you can take time to seek God. You can take time to worship God in this moment by coming before him in transparency and saying, God, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time worshiping you. Will you cleanse me? Will you forgive me? Will you wash me clean? Will you meet me now? I need you. That's my prayer for you today. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you have atoned for our sins and have solved the problem of worship once and for all, that we no longer have to fear being with a holy God, that you usher us into the presence of the Father with joy. And I pray that joy would be real to every person who's watching this right now. Would you meet us? Would you stir a heart of worship? We need it. It's not just for your glory, but for our good, we pray. Amen.